We are in a place in time where we have an, a heaven opened above us, doors open before us. 1 Corinthians 16, 9 says it this way, For a great door of effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. There are opportunities, and there's opposition. There's an open door with uh, an awareness of challenge and trial, yet nevertheless, the firm foundation of the Lord stands. And I want to talk to you today about pushing through, pushing past previous uh, sort of plateaus and sort of places of, of accomplishment, getting stuck in a lull. I believe we're about ready to move up into another level. I think what Pastor Dreton just said to us about dedication Dedication is devotion, it's seeking. We're going to talk about that, pursuing, uh, uh, asking, knocking, and seeking, and the door will be open, we'll receive. And I want to remind you, if you want to turn to John chapter 10, I want you to live immersed in the John chapter 10, 10 way of living. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus talks of himself as the good shepherd, as the door to the sheepfold, as the only way. And he says in verse 10, something so contrasting and so profound, something so theologically clear. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief is a reference to the devil, Satan, Lucifer, the evil forces that work with him. They come to steal. They come to kill. They come to destroy. Stealing is the opposite of giving. Killing is the opposite of life. Destruction is the opposite of building. Whereas Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to give. Jesus died for us so we could have an invitation into his level of joy and his level of peace. He said, my peace I give you, uh, not as the world gives, give I to you. So there's a peace that passes understanding. There's a peace that could come in unsettling times. This is, for example, what happened in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus said, let us go to the other side. He and the guys got in the boat in Galilee, headed toward Decapolis, and uh, a storm brewed up in that particular time of the day. It's with the mountains and the thermals and the way the air blows, it pretty much is expected that there's going to be turbulence out in the water there, and it could kick up really fast, and the, wa the waves can be almost like ocean waves out, out at sea, like 12 feet high kind of a thing. And the boat was filling up with water, but Jesus was asleep on the pillow. And the disciples were freaked out and said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Which is so insulting because Jesus came <laughs> to express love. And in fact, he laid down his life for all of us, ungrateful, whining uh, humanity. And uh, Peter was one of them there. And, you know, he had to rebuke those guys before he rebuked the wind and the sea. And he said, oh, you have little faith. And finally, Peter got a hold of it and finally recognized that, God cares for us, and he famously penned 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. He figured out that God does care. I talked to a woman this week that after Pat, Pastor Patsy recorded the, uh, well, live streamed the ladies' meeting with the two girls, a woman was sitting in her car in the parking lot, and she told me she's been in our church since the 90s. She said her husband had passed, and then two of her four children had passed. And it reminded me of Ruth in the Old Testament. She had that happen to her exactly like that. And I had been reading Job, and I thought, that's not unlike aspects of what happened in Job's life. And she even said at the funeral home, she cried out and yelled 
at God, and I, I, I didn't even blink. I understood that. And then she said she kind of walked away and was away from the Lord for about a year. She said, but you know, when you're really saved, when you're re really a Christian, she said, my, she said, my mom, she paused and she said, my mom presented this to me. You know, we have a lot of children in here right now. I just think it's the way it ought to be right now with Children's Church. We're, we're the children of God and we're all to be childlike and we're also to, I feel like this is a moment and I hope you kids can understand me uh, just as all the other age brackets can, that there is a purpose on your life no matter what trials or challenges you may face, that there is a great door of effective service that is open to us. You know, like for example with Kosovo, the door that was open, the reason we found out about it was because there were about a million displaced people who had had through the phosphorus bombs blown into their houses and many, many people passed. The town where Dritan and Enos serve, over 1,200 people died. It was called the, the, the worst blight. The Newsweek magazine said it was the most blighted place of all the region, of all the cities. And that's where God led us. God led us to the, the most hurting of the hurting. So here's this woman in her funeral home, yelling and mad, frustrated toward God and weary and hurt. And, and her patience was sorely tried. And yet she said to me, you know, when you're a real Christian, you have assurance that God's going to work things out. And I just stood back and at attention to this elegant woman of God and the thoughtful way she shared her testimony. I looked at her and I thought, I almost shook my head like, I, I, don't, I can't even imagine what you've been through. And I can't because it's unique to her. Um, but I can, because of some similarities, I could sort of think about it. We could sort of see uh, examples throughout the Bible where times were difficult for people, but how God came through and she's just like she said there's when you're a believer you have an abiding assurance that is uh, not baseless optimism it's biblical hope that we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose God's working this out right now God's working everything after the counsel of his own will he knows what's up in the down sitting and the uprising of nations he knows what's going on right now in the economy. He knows what's going on in the, in the life of that woman, a man who was recently widowed and uh, just overcame COVID and had, was on a ventilator for two weeks. So God brought him through. And here we are. Here we sit with all of our different viewpoints and our outlooks and our attitudes. But let's immerse ourselves in the John 10, 10 way of living. We realize, by contrast, the devil is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We're to resist the devil. We're to be builders. We're to be life imparters. We're to be people that are healers. We're to be people that are, are, are full of faith. And he said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Everybody say, I have abundant life oozing through me. I, my cup runs over. Hallelujah. Oh, a few weeks ago, I looked on my dashboard and my check engine light was lit up right over my odometer. It's right at, the, the, the designer of the car put it where you cannot ignore it. Although I've been ignoring it for about two weeks. And um, I haven't heard any pings or anything rickety underneath the, the, the hood, but then I thought I ought, to, I ought to look this up and see about my particular car model. Newer cars actually are equipped with internal diagnostic computers and so I started to read what the check engine light might mean in my case of my particular car model. My mass airflow sensor might be dirty. 
I didn't even know what a mass airflow sensor was. Didn't even know I had one. Or it may be a malfunction with the fuel injection system. Or it might be damaged oxygen sensor. It could be a faulty emissions control part. Or, worse yet, a faulty head gasket. Could be defective spark plugs. Could be a loose gas cap. No, I checked. I don't have a gas cap. <laughs> it could be low coolant. And uh, it, the list actually goes on and on and on and on. And, uh, you know, it, it, have you ever had your check engine light go off? I feel like this happened in ancient Israel, and it happened to Gideon. It happens in different seasons of everybody's life where there are indications where uh, we need some help from above. We need to get with the uh, maker and, and get things uh, resolved and straightened out. We're definitely in a moment where the world, there's something wrong under the hood. The world is passing away in all of its lust. It's a fallen age, and yet we're in the world, but not of it. The Bible says that we're more than conquerors in it. We're called to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And so with this open heaven, it's not only so we can enjoy fellowship with God and have this blessed assurance. What he does to us, he wants to do through us. And here we are. We came into this building and then we had the flood of 93 and then we came back in and we've been through a lot of things. Many of the population in our church that I'm talking to right now weren't even alive during the flood of 93. So it's, a, it's become epic history, but it really underscores how faithful God is through high times and hard times and how the thief comes but only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give life and give it abundantly. You take this to heart, moms and dads. You take this to heart, young people. Take this to heart, singles. Take this to heart, retirees. Realize that in every station of your life, as your days are, so shall your strength be. God will strengthen you with power by his spirit in the inner man. Their faith will come as you listen to and hear the word of God. And get ready, you're about to drink a sip of water from a fire hose because I am on fire and the water is coming. Living water is flowing and I'm excited about it. Go to the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And let's look at a famous moment in the life of Israel when God had got, delivered them out of Egyptian bondage and then they were going to the promised land. They disobeyed the Lord in whining and murmuring. And um, only Joshua and Caleb and the people under 20 made it into the promised land. But here we see a moment at the edge of the Red Sea where they're wandering. They've gone around. They're trying to avoid a battle. And it says here in verse 4, Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. This is chapter 21, verse 4 of Numbers. You remember in chapter 13, Moses sent out the spies, most the majority of which brought back an evil report. There's such a tendency for the majority to murmur. There were a couple of folks that had a different reference point. They had a bias toward faith in God. They said, wait a minute, God said we were going to take the land. We tenaciously lay hold of his promises and we refuse to let them go. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses, as you are required by God to do in your exhortation, in your teaching, in your proclamation, and in your outstretched hand of healing to others. God has anointed us to say, nevertheless, we shall by all means possess the land. We shall by all means possess the land. Yet here they are, they're wandering, and it says they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. 
The people became impatient because of the journey. One translation said that the, the people were discouraged because of the way. Another translation says the people grew weary because of the way. You know, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. Jesus is the way, but his way uh, is a life of faith. And it's an interesting and sometimes peculiar scenario. We go through trials, we go through challenges, yet the Lord requires us to walk by faith and not by sight. He, he has helped us with a clarification of John 10.10, 10, the contrast of, look, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to equip you, I've come to redeem you, I've come to fill you with the Holy Spirit, I've come to give you my word as a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Every Old Testament story is written for your instruction so you can learn from the mistakes and you can learn from the patterns and you could see the faithfulness of God and you could operate by faith in your lifespan and you can make a difference in the world in which you are planted. And so we see here, though, that the guys grew weary and the literal Hebrew in my margin of my Bible says that the soul of the people was short. Fuses were short. Tempers were short. Patience was at a low. But we understand that it's through faith and patience we inherit the promises. Now, we in Western civilization in 2020 have enjoyed marked surges of, of knowledge increasing and technology from light bulbs from Edison and Tesla all the way now to uh, the, the computers that, you know, went from MS-DOS to user-friendly to... Pentium chips to, I don't know what now. You know, all this speed, 5G and all these kinds of things. We're, we're, we're seeing, you know, we go to a, a drive up and we order uh, for the 17 people back at the office that gave us a little list on our phone. And they say, my pleasure. And then you drive through there and you think, this took over two and a half minutes. I thought this was a fast food place. And they say, my pleasure. And you know, that kind of thing. And then you can't be mad at them even when they forget your salad dressing. I know, that's like the great tribulation just started. And we get so flipped out. The souls of the people got short. We get so flipped out. Why is this microwave taking 30 seconds to heat up my coffee? I need my coffee. 30 seconds? Gotta get a better one. Gimme, gimme, I, I, me, me, my, faster. These guys were out there and they grew impatient because of the journey. But my Bible says that patience is an important and in fact an imperative. Whether we're in the contemplative eras of 2000 or 3000 or 4000 years ago or the fast paced change of a society where, where the, the population is doubling every, every so many generations, it's expanding. Things are filling up. Things are on a, an accelerated course. And yet, we are called to live in the John 10, 10. Jesus came to give me abundant life. No doubt that thief is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. He's chipping away at our confidence. He's trying to undermine our vision. He's trying to get us dull. He's trying to get us short-fused. He's trying to bait, take us into the bait and get us bitter. And a root of bitterness can get in and spring up and cause trouble. And by it, many will be defiled insecurity, discouragement, uh, just feeling that blasé, mind-numbing feeling that comes from so many sucker punches of life. 
And yet, nevertheless, having done all to stand, we stand. Who am I talking to today? I'm talking to you. What am I talking about? I'm talking about your mission. I'm talking about your personal life. What am I speaking to? I'm speaking to your calling, and I'm coming against that which is coming against you. I'm doing everything I can for your edification so that you can be built up. I'm not letting any unwholesome word proceed from my mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification so that it will give a needful buildup for the moment. Listen, if your kids make noise in here, I'm just happy you brought your kids. I don't have any problem with kids. I'd rather have the noise of a nursery than the silence of a graveyard. And while your kids are coloring, uh, they're listening because the word of God is powerful. And I commend you for bringing your families. I commend you for coming, socially distanced, masks, and so forth. God bless you for your tenacity. God bless you for your courage because you are doing what it says in, in Judges chapter 8. Let's take now a moment and turn to a few pages over Numbers, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. And we're going into the story of Gideon. I've been reading Judges. I'm already up to Samson now, but it, I just went back here and I looked at, at, at Gideon again. Gideon, it was a time of tremendous social weirdness. Israel had failed and disobeyed God and caused problems for themselves. And the Midianites and the Amalekites were hassling them. Uh, they were coming in with camels. They had speedy vehicles and they would wait for the timeliness of the harvest. And just when the crops were ripe, they would come in and they'd steal everything and they'd leave. And Israel was constantly under oppression from Midian. And uh, there was a man named Gideon who was in the wine press threshing wheat, beating out the wheat so he could save it from the Midianites. So he was a hard worker. He was smart, but he was isolated. And he was in a wine press, which is a cave that doesn't have much light, no windows, maybe an opening there, of course, to get in, but dull and dark and dank, not a happy place. He wasn't doing a happy thing, but it was a necessity. And yet then, in verse 12 of chapter 6, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. I remind you that Isaiah prophesied that the name of Jesus would be Emmanuel, God with us, God who never leaves us nor forsakes us. When that woman was in the funeral home and closed the door and screamed at God, God was with her. And her cry, though it was harsh and maybe even hurt, she was expressing hurt toward the Lord. God could handle it. And he was there. He wasn't going to abandon her there. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And his presence is, is available to us even when we feel like our circumstances are at their most grim and yet we look to him and we trust him. And yet Gideon wasn't even doing that. Gideon was in a somber, depressed moment and in a bad mood. And Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? <laughs> when things weren't ideal, when there had been a social drift, the nation was actually under judgment. It was bad, yet the angel of the Lord brought good news, 
brought news of restoration. There had been some repentance prior to this. They had humbled themselves and reached a conclusion that they needed God. They needed to make adjustments. So before breakthrough, there's dedication, there's repentance, and they repented. And so yet the Lord is visiting this guy Gideon, and he's having an argument with God. Hey, if you really loved us, why did all this happen? Where are the miracles? And uh, the Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength. And he said, have I not sent you? So then he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. So he wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was born with a plastic spork from McDonald's. And he's basically saying, I'm from the wrong side of the tracks. I don't have the pedigree. And he was so full of insecurity and so much reluctance that it looks like he's off to a terrible start. And yet the Lord is not taking any of this for an answer. And he turns back to him in verse 16 and says, But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. See, the woman's testimony when she told me about her husband and kids dying, and I thought about Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess, and she went back to, she, she went back to Jerusalem, or Bethlehem. And um, she connected, and God provided for her. And she said, your God is going to be my God, and your people are going to be my people. It's famous. Um, the book of Ruth is read by the Jewish people, observant Jews, on every Pentecost uh, weekend. It's, a, it's a, I think, a four-chapter book that just underscores about in a, in a bad time, the Lord provided and gave this person an opportunity to glean and get back on their feet. When I talked to the woman in the parking lot, I just stood quietly. I had nothing glib to say. I, I didn't want to nervously react. Uh, I just listened in silence as she shared her testimony. And I watched how she reached conclusions of God's love in what was an impossible loss. I look at this, how the Lord came to Gideon and said, I have a plan, even though it looks awful and it's been awful for a long time. And the oppressors outnumber you. And yet, I'm going to do something. And not only he said this, he said, I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian as one man. And this is something that was repeated in Hebrews chapter 11, where through one man, Abraham, there's something dynamic about your and my individuality. America is obsessed and addicted to uh, individuality to an idolatrous level. So then Christians want to offset it and just be, be humble, and we should, because we don't want to be ego-driven and be all about give me, give me, I, I, me, me, mine, and be all selfish. But nor should we go to the other extreme and allow ourselves with so much self-deprecation to be in the, in the shoes of Gideon where we're like, we're, if God really loved us, why did all this happen? And, 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 and you know, where are the signs of his, his uh, where are his miracles? And, and, and I'm the least in my father's house. He's arguing against his calling, and yet God is mercifully saying, listen, you're a valiant warrior. Go in this your strength. I have a plan for you. And he was hurting. He was hiding. He needed help, and God gave it to him. And this is what the woman said. Real believers, they end up, she didn't know how to put it into words. I, I think it's a bounce back ability that I've, I've observed amongst God's people. And it's that resurrection power of Jesus. Yeah. We're in a moment here where we see that Midianites and the Amalekites are bearing down on the people of Israel. And that through repentance, though, they begin to get a fortification. They begin to get a visitation. They, and God 
starts to tap out one of these unlikely people. And he said, I'm going to deliver. I'm going to beat the Midianites as though through one man. So he had this big group of people. But before this, he was so insecure. He, 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 the, the Lord let him tear down the Asherah pole that was in his dad's yard, an idol that had been built because of their lapses and their sin and their idolatry. And God was starting to dismantle their idolatry. And he wanted to give Gideon an opportunity. So he did it by night. God let him do something sort of stealth. And God showed mercy to Gideon, where out of weakness he was made strong in a process. And I think about the woman who testified about how she came back to the Lord and how she was joyous again. And, how she, and I thought, man, just those losses that she went through is like Job, it's like Ruth. And yet there she is pressing on with God. And I just was honored to be able to stand next to someone that fought the good fight of faith and is still fighting yet that is embracing and is immersed in the John 10, 10, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but you know what? Jesus came to give abundant life. And even though I was mad at God, it was temporary. Even though I was wondering where his miracles were, how this happened, it was temporary. I land back on the realization that Jesus came to bring abundant life. He came to bring his Holy Spirit. He came to empower his church, and he's coming back to a church that the gates of hell cannot, will not have prevailed against, that whose foundation is secure, the cornerstone Jesus, the, the everlasting rock is the one that we stand on and it, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. So then we see that, you know, he's saying, well, if you're really the Lord, then turn this, let do be on this fleece. He put a fleece out and I want to do to be on the fleece and then do not on the fleece. And then he, after he fleeced, he fleeced, then he said, oh no, now I've seen the Lord, I'm going to die. And so it was just hilarious. I love this guy. I've often wondered why that Bible organization that the Beatles even talked about Gideon's Bible, why they picked Gideon. I still don't know why they have, are they called the Gideon Society. I really don't know. Somebody saw the beauty and the virtue of a broken man, of a reluctant warrior, but yet of a great God who would take somebody and nourish and sustain that person's soul back into standing. And then even in this moment, I'm going to provide leadership, but it's not going to be like you think. And then there were like 22,000 people, uh, but then there were people that got tired and people that were afraid and trembling. So several of them returned and, and, and only 10,000 remained. And this is the development of Gideon's army. And then they went over by the water and they were tested about how they would drink the water and some lapped by putting their hand to their mouth. And that was 300, the others kind of were kneeling and drinking. And so the ones that were kneeling and drinking took their eyes off the battle the ones that put their hand and then they were looking, they were vigilant, so it rendered down to 300. And because he said, I, I don't want you to think that it's gonna be by your power about what I'm gonna do. Uh, the early church uh, was birthed by the 12 and then the 120 and then these little, this little meager group that began to be added to. Peter preached and 3,000 were added in one day. And then there were people baptized in Jerusalem and there was, there was a groundswell and a growth potential. One, another day, a thousand were added. There was an amazing surge and the early church enjoyed favor with all the people and the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. And similarly to the days of, in Judges, look at chapter eight. They're, they're marauding along, they're having, they're having battles. God is confusing the enemy. They're turning on one another. The famous point where they had the 300 uh, trumpets and they broke, broke the jars and all those kinds of various things. You should read these stories. It's fantastic. The wisdom God gave these guys. Then it got into chapter 8 and there was fatigue 
similar to Numbers 21, where the people became impatient because of the journey. And yet, look at verse 4 of chapter 8. It says, Then Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the Jordan and crossed over. Everybody say crossed over. Look at this. Weary, yet pursuing. Weary, yet pursuing. There is so much in the last part of this sentence. Weary, and yet pursuing. Say that with me. Weary and yet pursuing. Now, this really speaks to me because that's the nature of, of soldiers. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And in that context, it says we're to endure hardness or hardship as a soldier. Last Wednesday was Veterans Day, and we honor the men and women of uniform that had to go to basic training, that had to fight. We think about the people. In Kansas City, there's a, a, a museum to World War I. There's a movie that was recently made by Peter Jackson where the British uh, archives were given to him where he could just take and do whatever he wanted with him. And he did his kind of work that he did with uh, Lord of the Rings and his amazing cinematography skills. He had an, a grandfather or great-grandfather that was involved with World War I. So had a personal desire to want to honor the people that fought in that particular battle. Think about the great generation. My, my wife's father was lost and missing in action in the South Pacific, and most of his unit perished right before his eyes. He never recovered from that toward, till toward the end of his life, and it was Jesus and it was CDs of good teaching that got him on his feet. He lived a suffering life, and he generated that suffering as a result. So we see the hardship and we see the pain and, and the weariness. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in well-doing, because in due time you'll reap if you faint not. That little last point gives us an incentive, doesn't it? That if we just keep, even though we're weary, we keep pursuing. Even though we're frustrated, we keep knocking on the door. Even though we're disappointed, having done all to stand, we stand. Because after all, that's the life of faith. It, you know, the Bible says in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He said, I have overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Faith comes when you read about Gideon, and I love the honesty of it. I want to spend time with Gideon in heaven. I feel like I know him. I feel like he's a friend, like, like uh, personal. I feel like I've connected with him. I relate to him. I'm sure he's not exactly happy that that part of the storyline was laid out, but such is life. And God took Gideon and did something with Gideon. And God gave him a supernatural ability to persevere. God, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by his spirit. 2 Thessalonians 3.13, talking about people that won't work and things like that, he said, but you, he said, as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Brethren, this is my admonition for you. There were 22,000. Then there were 10,000. Then it rendered down to 300. And then God could do something with it. We're in a moment of quarantine, social distancing. We're looking at a pastor and his wife that one of the biggest churches of the Albanian-speaking world, and they had to have their doors closed again. We had intended to have their congregation socially distanced and our congregation socially distanced and actually celebrate it like that. But nevertheless, we did it the way we had to do it because that's just how we roll. We adapt, we flow, but we do it all in faith. 
and we keep showing up and we keep praying the prayers of faith and we finish strong in order that God will be glorified and honored. His soul has no pleasure in those who shrink back, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. I'm talking to some people in this place. I'm talking to an audience of one. If you want to know who I'm preaching to, I'm preaching to you. What am I preaching for? You, though weary, are persevering. You, though disappointed, stagger not at the promises of God, but you grow strong in faith, giving glory to God. Having done all to stand, you stand. You press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Why? Because there are no other options. The options are ridiculous. They're pathetic. What, quitting? Becoming stagnant? Yet even God in his mercy took that widow and in her year of, of pushing the pause button, God didn't push the pause button. God was near her. God was supporting her. God was with her in her heartache. And God brought her through. Praise the Lord. And her testimony is, Man, you know, when, you, when you're true, when you're a real Christian, you, you end up having an assurance that somehow God's going to work things together for good. And I want to say, that is not a baseless optimism. Otherwise, then we're just, if there's no resurrection, then we're, we're like, we're stupid. And, and we're not stupid. You're not stupid. You're intentional. Actually, I, I would just say you're quite smart because you, 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 you're taking the spiritual high road. You're pressing on with God. And people will dip their heads in the water and will be peeling off. And it's an amazing transitional moment right now where we see things that's just like, wow, we're in an interesting moment in time, not unlike the moment in Judges, not unlike the moment out in the wilderness, not unlike the early church contending with the pressures of the Pharisees and the scribes or of the Roman uh, uh, cohorts, the kind of the weirdness. And yet Paul said, listen, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out rather for the furtherance of the gospel. He said, they've, they've put chains on me and attached me to the Praetorian Guard. And now I'm a, I'm a friend with a bunch of these uh, Roman ninja guards. And uh, they, they, you know, they, I, I, I fellowship with them. I'm on a first name basis with them. They're, get, they're getting saved. And there's a revival going on amongst the Praetorian Guards. So I want you to know, don't worry about me. It's working out. And Gideon gets out there with these men and they go across the Jordan and uh, though weary, pursuing, yet pursuing. Here's what pursue means, to carry out or participate in an activity, to become involved and stay involved in it. Participation, they stayed part of it. They stayed connected with it. They, it, it, was, it was a person who is trying to overtake or capture some plan or some goal. They had a calling to beat the Midianites and they were not going to let up. Number two, to follow. We're followers of Jesus. We're Jesus followers. Number three, go in search of. If you seek, you find. If you knock, the door will be open. If you ask, you shall receive. Four, to carry further or to advance. I'm amazed at how the Lord will say, I want you to advance now. Even though you don't feel like it, even though it doesn't look ideal, even though you're dealing with a level of exhaustion. Remember, they that wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. He doesn't grow weary or fatigued. And in fact, I wanna finish with Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. So let's turn there because Jesus stands up in the crowd. Jesus who knew about Gideon, Jesus who knew about the numbers a dynamic of the people that were impatient because of the way. Jesus, who helped that lady at the funeral home when she just had just one too many deaths in her family, untimely deaths. 
And what's she gonna do? She, she falls in love more with Jesus. She presses on more with Jesus. What an interesting testimony. She was wearing an amazing pair of glasses, sunglasses. I complimented her on them. She's like, oh, you know, don't, don't, don't flatter me. And I wasn't flattering her. I really liked her sunglasses. They were girly, so I didn't want them. I wasn't coveting them. I wasn't, I wasn't hinting for her to give them to me. They were like cat glasses with gold on them. I didn't want that, but I thought they looked good on her. If you're here today, I complimenting you. Everybody say this. It says, weary yet pursuing. Say, weary yet pursuing. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look at what he says. He says, come to me. Now look at the rest of it. Next part. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I pray for a ridiculous, lavish, over and above Pacific Ocean level blast of refreshing waves coming into your spirit, coming into your thought life, coming into your decision making. You have to be so decisive in this context and everything in this fast paced change. Friday night, somebody said, man, I bet it's really hard to be a pastor right now. And I, th I thought, well, it's never been easy. I, that was the first thing I thought. Then, it, And he says, because you get so many things thrown at you, so many variables. And I, th and I remember a doctor said to me that when he prepared for his career, he was a emergency room doctor in Kansas City in a, in a hospital in the hood where they dealt with gunshots and in stabbings and all kinds of real car wrecks and heart attacks and all kinds of extremes. He said, you, your life is more like an emergency room doctor than any other thing I've ever seen. And you may feel that way as a Christian. There's so many things, such a variety of things coming to you. That's why Jesus said, let's stand up on our feet. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, though, though weary, pursuing. Though weary, we press on. Though weary, we stagger not at the promises of God, but we grow strong in faith, taking our stand. And then what will he do? Give us rest. Read this out loud. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Look at this. And you will find rest for your souls. Lay your hands on your heart. We dedicate ourselves to you. We humble ourselves. We repent sincerely of everything we could repent of. We keep on the sunny side of this and we trust you that as you helped Israel from the Midianites and the Amalekites and Mount Seir, you're helping us in our moment in the United States, helping Dritan and Ina over there in Kosovo, all the nations, Lord, on high alert around the globe. We pray the healing touch of God throughout the nations. We come against the devil. Anywhere where there's a check engine light flashing in our lives, Lord, we ask for your healing, cleansing, love to come in and do a great work. I want you to turn around and say, be refreshed. <laughs>